And you are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Skyvich approached back again. It's opening day, everybody. For the first time in months, it's going to be real live baseball. And you could count spring training, but it's back. And I'm so happy that I finally get to wear this Garrett Cole shirt. It reads, Yankees fan today, tomorrow, forever. If everybody knows that poster was introduced at the press conference where Garrett Cole was introduced and many people bought the shirt many people bought his jerseys of course and I bought this shirt at Models for 30 bucks that was before their business started going under but of course we have other topics to talk about today besides the pitching matchup between Scherzer and Cole obviously we're going to look at the next two games with Paxton and Strasburg and then a bullpen day most likely I'm guessing Chad Green will start that one versus Patrick Corbin. But first, we have to talk about something else as well. Marcus Golden is back yesterday. The deadline for the tender expired, which means that Marcus Golden is now officially a giant for 2020 unless he opts out for coronavirus reasons. Now, they placed the tender, I believe, May 5th on him that indicated if teams didn't sign him past July 22nd, then he was going to be a giant for the 2020 season. The Giants have rights to him. So I know a lot of Giant fans are happy about that. And some Giant fans, you know, they don't seem to credit whoever made the move. A lot of people saying it's Joe Judge's move because he pulled that move from when New England did it to LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt obviously signed with another team afterwards. But they say Joe Judge got it from New England. Yeah, you could be right about that, but I'm pretty sure Gettleman actually pulled the strings and made the transaction so that was a smart move in the pocket of the New York Giants front office and Vincent Rapisardi posted on Twitter yesterday he's like the Giants could very well get Marcus Golden back for 4.1 million after signing him for less than 4 million last season now this was July 22nd after the deadline had passed he had double digit sacks and ranked eighth in the league in pressures in 2019 why isn't Dave Gettleman getting any credit for this move? And then somebody came up with an opposing stat. They said probably because Golden was one of the most inefficient pass rushers last season. His pass rush win rate ranked 91st last season in the league. There was a reason nobody signed him. So I'm going to lay out the cards on the table right now on what I think of this move. So obviously the Giants get a pass rusher back, Marcus Golden. There's the pros and the cons that I talked about a couple podcast episodes ago with coming back to the Giants meaning Marcus Golden and why it's a good fit and why it's not well it's a 3-4 defense Patrick Graham is hosting it he was a Betcher fit and a lot of people say he's a system fit under Betcher he won't work anywhere else we saw this in 2018 with Steve Wilkes 4-3 defense he didn't do much of anything and he was not re-signed the year after of course and then the Giants brought him over thanks to James Betcher now, in 2018, the Giants were ranked 30th, or tied for 30th, 31st, however you want to say it, with the Raiders and, I believe, the Patriots in sacks. They had 30 sacks. The lead pass rusher was Olivier Vernon, who was traded to the Browns in the 2019 offseason, really, in March. And B.J. Hill was the second one with five and a half sacks, and he was a defensive interior. Now... The Giants signed Golden. He produces 10.5 sacks on the season. So, the Giants went from 30th in sacks with 30 the year before, 2018. And then 2019, 
with Marcus Golden's addition, they achieve 36 sacks, which is actually 22nd in the league. They are above the Jets, but below the Ravens, surprisingly. And the Ravens had a good defense, but it was mostly the defensive backfield who did it, meaning Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey. Obviously, Marcus Peters made the Pro Bowl. So that's really my point in there. But however you want to categorize or analyze pass rushers, you have to look at it and say, Marcus Golden, maybe he's inefficient. Maybe missed blocks contributed to his sacks, coverage sacks, or maybe he was uncovered at some point. His sacks brought six more sacks to the Giants in 2019 than 2018. Though Betcher wasn't a great coordinator, his addition of Marcus Golden at least contributed to a little bit of more pass rush than the year before. And Marcus Golden had a streak for a couple of games. It was spanning from the Bills game all the way over to the Lions game or the Cardinals game. He had a sack in every single one of those games all the way to, I think, the Cardinals game or the game after that. And trust me, I'm not defending this pass rush group. I don't think that they're going to be the best in the league. I think they're probably going to be one of the worst. They haven't really added superior options. I mean, Fackles won option that really comes out at you because 2018 under Patrick Graham as a linebackers coach he had 10 and a half sacks what Golden had last year so it's going to be interesting to see and everyone's going to put their hype on O'Shane Ziminis which is not a bad thing but not a good thing at the same time because we saw what happened with Lorenzo Carter but my point is yes maybe the pass rush doesn't look appetizing this year and I'm not defending them as I just said but you at least have to look at the sack stat, and say, okay, they went from 30 to 36 from 2018 to 2019. That's a slight improvement. And honestly, I think there's going to be a slight improvement this year as well because you have to look at the pass rushers the Giants have. Yeah, they may not be dynamic like everybody likes them to be. And trust me, as I said before, weak pass rush group, but I think they're going to have a little bit more sacks than last year. And also, it depends on how the defensive backfield does. And I'm talking about the cornerbacks. Can they hold up those receivers so that the pass rush can get back there? It's going to be interesting to see. But two sides work off each other. That's just how it goes. So to close out this statement and this opinion of mine, yes, Golden had 10.5 sacks and he was one of the most inefficient pass rushers in the league. And to be honest, I believe that. In the analytics standpoint, but you at least have to acknowledge that Golden boosted the sacks or helped boost at least. And you can't just say Joe Judge did this or Gettleman did this. I'm not going to mark it down as one of his better moves. It's not a fantastic move, but it's a move to improve the pass rush and maybe bring some stability to it. As I said, weak pass rush group, but bringing back Golden does boost it a little bit in the hype and the momentum. So that's what I have to say about that subject. And that ends it for the football standpoint of this podcast episode. So let's go on to baseball now. So before we preview the matchups for the National Series, I want to take a look at something that a lot of people have been discussing. This is the Andujar Urshela subject. Now everybody before COVID-19 happened, everyone was wondering how are they going to balance the play. Well, it actually is a lot tougher now that we have a 60-game season now. And you had a runner-up rookie of the year 
which he should have won it in 2018. Don't tell me that Otani should have won it. He was out for the rest of the year just because he could pitch and hit. You know, he's not no Babe Ruth yet. I mean, I'll leave my mind open, but he hasn't done anything spectacular yet. And I'm waiting on that. But let's go back to the original subject. Now, you had Urshela, who was a breakout defensive player and offensive player last year when they put Andujar on the IL. Now, before everything shut down, and I'm talking the original spring training, which was February into about maybe a couple days into March, the Yankees started trying to convert Andujar as a backup outfielder, which, to be honest, to me, never made sense, and it doesn't make sense because you have Clint Frazier, you have Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Stanton, who could occasionally play the outfield, Brett Gardner, Tyler Wade on occasion as well. He could play right field and I think left field as well. Mike Talkman, and you re-signed Brett Gardner. So I guess it was to have some sort of outfield depth, but you already have that. And you have lots of outfielders, and it didn't make much sense to me. Also, you had Zach Granite, but he's down in the other camps now, wherever he is, but he's not on the 30-man roster. So let's take a look at the stats. Now, I'm going to compare the 2018 stats for Andujar to 2019 stats of Urshel because those were breakout years. I'll mention Andujar's 2019 stats first, even though he went on the IL for the rest of the season. So let's take a look at those. Now, this is hitting, of course. He had zero home runs, one RBI, 128 average, 11 strikeouts, one walk, and six hits and 47 at-bats. Obviously, limited opportunity knowing he got injured, but... He struggled at the first part of the year, so that was the cause and effect of whatever. Now let's jump to his 2018 stats where he had his breakout season. And I'm going to mention some fielding stats as well because that also has to come into play. Not necessarily analytical stats, or they could be depending on what I find on here. But let's start with the offensive stats. Andujar, he had 170 hits and 573 at-bats. A batting average of 297, on base percentage of 328, slugging of 527, 27 homers and 92 RBIs, 97 strikeouts and 25 walks. Let's go to the defense and the more important stuff on the defense. Now, let's take a look at the first stat, which will include the next three stats. He had 286 chances in 1,169.1 innings. 1,169.1 innings on the field, of course. So he had 286 chances, as I said. He had 178 assists, 15 errors, and 93 putouts. Now, obviously, everybody knows that Andujar's biggest weakness was on the field, and they tried giving him more reps, and hopefully he's a better fielder when he is on the field. But everybody could tell that Urshela has a better fielding ability than Andujar does. Now, let's skip to... Gio Urshela's stats from 2019. Here are his offensive stats. Now, before we get to that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have the Yankees starting lineup for tonight's game against Washington. Aaron Hicks will bat first in center field, and batting second is Aaron Judge in right. Batting third is Glaber Torres at shortstop. Batting fourth is Giancarlo Stanton, the designated hitter. Batting fifth is Brett Gardner, the left fielder. Batting sixth is Gary Sanchez, the catcher. Batting seventh is the first baseman, Luke Voigt. Betting 8th is Giovanni Urshel, the man we are talking about at 3rd base. And betting ninth is Tyler Wade at 2nd base. Garrett Cole is on the mound. And before I get to Urshela's stats as well, I know I'm really dragging this, but they're also teaching Andujar to be a backup first baseman, which could be plausible in some cases now with LeMahieu not ready for opening day. But they have Voight, and Andujar can make some appearances. But in my thing, 
get him good at third base first and then transition him first. Don't have him learning two things at once in my opinion. But you probably see him like once or twice till LeMahieu comes back because LeMahieu still missed summer camp and he's going to have to learn all the things or at least get back into shape after the coronavirus he had. So you'll probably see Andujar maybe like once or twice, but Voigt is probably going to share the majority of the plays on the field. So without me dragging it, let's go to Urshela's 2019 offensive stats. He had 21 home runs, 74 RBIs, both career highs for him. One stolen base, 87 strikeouts, which was 10 lower than Miguel Andujar. 314 average, 25 walks, and he had 139 hits in 442 at-bats. And also a slugging percentage of... 534 and then a 355 on base percentage now let's take a look at those defensive stats he played in 978.1 innings he had 284 chances 59 putouts, 212 assists and 13 errors which was actually two less than miguel andujar now that number is still up there if or if not you consider it up there i don't know what you guys standards are but I think the difference between these two in fielding, especially when you look from the naked eye. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily stats, but when you're looking from the naked eye and you're actually watching the game. Urshela has a flashy glove, and he makes more flashy plays. Let's just put it that way. Andujar, he has more of a power bat when he is hitting well. But knowing Urshela's offensive breakout last year and Andujar's struggle, I think Urshela is definitely going to get the upper hand in this one until Andujar really proved himself and also to note on fielding stats Gio Urshel had a higher fielding percentage six points more than Miguel Andujar but obviously the errors and the flashy plays always impact that that's why you saw more assists for Urshela than you did Andujar now I'm going to post the war stats wins above replacement for these guys you see, Andujar has a negative 0.4 and Urshela has a 0.5. So that's a difference there. To be honest with you, I don't fully understand this wins above replacement thing, but I promise I'll get good at it. So to finally end off on this subject, Urshela's going to get most of the playing time, but they will have to find some time for Andujar to be utilized. And they can't just leave him out in the dust. Oh, 2018 runner-up rookie of the year and they leave him out in the dust two years later it wouldn't be right I like Andujar but I would want to see Urshela because he has a more flashy glove and obviously the offensive battle is going to be what really separates them also as well when they get the opportunities and when Andujar gets the opportunities he better flash on them or else he's going to get limited playing time and guys it's only a 60 game season so it's going to be really tough to utilize both of these players more of your Shella it's going to be easier to utilize because again you have a lot more confidence in him than you have in Andujar yet because Andujar is coming off an injury and he's not very talented at fielding or at least flashy as Urshela so that's my take and view on that now let's preview the first game of the opening series in DC against the Nationals now these two pitchers which is Scherzer and Cole Cole for the Yankees Scherzer for the Nationals they have faced before and last year is as much recent. So Scherzer and Cole faced Game 1 of the World Series. Scherzer won, Cole lost. Here's Scherzer's stats from that game. 5 innings pitched, 5 hits, 2 runs, 2 earned runs, 3 walks, 7 Ks. Now Cole's stats. 
Eight hits, seven innings pitched, five runs, all of them earned, one walk, six Ks, and two home runs. He gave those two home runs to Ryan Zimmerman and Juan Soto. Juan Soto will not be playing tonight because he just got tested positive for COVID-19. But let's take a look at Garrett Cole's stats from 2019 when he was with the Astros, the pennant-winning Astros, but they lost the Nationals. So last year he had 20 wins, 5 losses, 2.50 ERA, 33 games started, 212.1 innings pitched, 142 hits, 66 runs, 59 of them earned, 29 home runs, 48 walks, and 326 strikeouts. Now let's brief Max Scherzer's stats. Here are his stats from 2019 with the Washington Nationals. He was 11-7 with a 2.92 ERA, 27 games started, 172.1 innings pitched, 144 hits, 59 runs, 56 of them earned. He had 18 home runs, 33 walks, and 243 strikeouts. So looking at stats, Cole was the better pitcher, but Scherzer did win against him in the World Series. Here are my predictions for Cole's stats tonight, and I will remark them on the live stream. Don't forget to watch later. My predictions for his stats are six and a thirds innings pitched, six strikeouts, two earned runs, five hits, and one walk. My predictions for Scherzer's stats, 5.2 innings pitched, eight Ks, three earned runs, seven hits, and two walks. Now, I'm not abrasing his stats, meaning I'm not pushing or biasing my predictions because I'm a Yankees fan. But I think Scherzer could have some struggles, but I think he could strike out some of the Yankees' order. We know Stanton struggled in the exhibition games. Judge has an ability to struggle as well, especially with pitches out of the strike zone, but his swing is much better than so many years before. I'm not going to go ahead and predict the other games, but I'll probably predict them maybe on my Twitter account if I do predict them, but those are just my opening day predictions for those stats. Now let's look at Game 2, which is Paxton versus Strasburg. So Paxton's stats from last year, first year as a Yankee, are the following. 15 wins, 6 losses, 3.82 ERA, 29 games started, 150.2 innings pitched, 138 hits, 71 runs, 64 of them earned, 23 home runs, 55 walks, and 186 strikeouts. Now let's take a look at Steven Strasburg. 18 wins, 6 losses, 3.32 ERA. 33 games started, 209 innings pitched, 161 hits, 79 runs, 77 of them earned, 24 home runs, 56 walks, and 251 strikeouts. So if you ask me, looking at those stats, I think Strasburg is the better pitcher. Uh, ERA, wins, losses, and strikeouts prove it best. He has more innings pitched, so he is more durable, but it also depends on how based on analytics that coach is. Aaron Boone, we know he's heavily used on analytics, and Dave Martinez as well, but I know more about Boone using analytics than Martinez, because I'm not a Nationals fan. I don't really follow the Nationals, but I do have other team knowledge when it comes to the MLB. I'm not just one person that says, oh, I'm going to look at the Yankees, and I'm not going to pay attention to the other 29 teams. I look and I'm knowledgeable about that, but I'm not knowledgeable in the area of knowing how Martinez uses analytics as much as I am Aaron Boone because I watch more Yankee games than I do Nationals games. So, but definitely right now, I think Strasburg is the better pitcher than Paxton, at least at this point, and Paxton is coming off an injury, but I'm going to say that actually 
Paxton wins this one in my prediction. And I'm also predicting that Corbin wins the next day. Of course, that's going to be on Sunday, the 1 o'clock game. And obviously, the first two games are going to depend on what the Yankees do as far as bullpen goes. The only time I usually like doing a bullpen day is actually in MLB The Show. That's the only time I do it. But that's more of an analytical thing. And I know the Rays are huge on bullpen days. Kevin Cash, especially with like Ryan Yarborough and Blake Snell. However they configure that, we'll face them later in the season. But that's not the focus right now. The Yankees will have to use their bullpen wisely if they plan on going the third game with a bullpen day. And you have a 60-game season as well, so you're going to have to keep that in mind if you're Aaron Boone. But honestly, let's just say the first two games go well for the Yankees' bullpen. I still see Patrick Corbin winning the third game, and they at least get one win out of it. But let's take a look at the stats for Chad Green, who's probably going to be the expected starter, but I could be wrong. Here are his stats from 2019. So most of the time he was utilized was as a bullpen pitcher starting as well. So he was 4-4 with a 4.17 ERA. That's the second highest of his career dating back to 2016 when I hated him. He was appearing in 54 games, but he started 15. He had 69 innings pitched, 66 hits, 35 runs, 32 earned, 10 home runs, 19 walks, and 98 Ks. Obviously, some of the home runs occurred on the night that was actually at Yankee Stadium when we got crapped on by the Indians 19-5 and Loisega contributed to that too. So that's something to look out for as well. But let's go on to Corbin's stats, who the Yankees were vouching for last offseason, which was the offseason before the 2019 season, and a year later, they find a gem in Garrett Cole. Patrick Corbin was 14-7 in 2019 with a 3.25 ERA. 33 games started, 202 innings pitched, 169 hits, 81 runs, 73 earned, 24 home runs, 70 walks, and 238 strikeouts. So obviously, it's different because one's a bullpen starter and one's a regular starter. But Patrick Corbin, obviously, here is the better pitcher. And I think that's going to pay a lot of dividends when it comes to Game 3 during the day. So it's going to be interesting to watch. As I said, those are my predictions as far as this series goes. I'll make my predictions next week based on the next series. But we'll see how everything goes. Hopefully I'm right. Or at least the Yankees get two games out of these three in the opening series in Washington. That is my prediction and evaluation of this series and the opening series for MLB Baseball in 2020 for the Yankees. So thank you guys for listening or watching our podcast. Remember, we are streaming later when the game is premiering. Hopefully I get this out before then. I probably will, but... Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel where we will be streaming on. Follow our social media pages at Big Blue in the Bronx, Instagram, and Twitter. Our podcasts are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, and Overcast. Thank you guys for listening and watching and supporting, and we should see you later tonight. If not, keep contact with us on our social media pages before we go. I also have another message if... On Google Play or Apple Podcasts, our podcast still appears in the Bleeding Big Blue Podcast with the cover art or the name. Same podcast, just a different spaz on the others. Obviously, Apple Podcasts and Google Play might not be updated. So, if you have any questions regarding something, please contact me anytime. Instagram, Twitter, DM me. But, shouldn't be much of an issue. Same podcast, same feed. It's just a different spaz to it. And also a different name and a different introduction to my Yankees evaluations. Thank you guys again, and we should see you later on.